0: Welcome to Flunking the Written, a fully spoiled Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast in which two uber fans break down every episode of the show. Join Kimberly and Megan every Tuesday as they overanalyze each scene and discuss the Buffyverse at large. Now let's meet up with the Scoobies and get into this week's episode of Flunking the Written.
1: What can I say? I flunked the written.
0: camps. So, What's My Line, part one, written by Howard Gordon and Marty Noxon, which is exciting. Marty Noxon's first episode, and it's also directed by David Solomon, and it's his first episode to direct as well. So I'm going to read the blurb, and then I'm going to immediately rant about the blurb. But the blurb is, as career week at school has Buffy wondering what her future may have been like, Spike hires three professional bounty hunters to ensure she has no future at all, and I'm just like, okay, I understand that the Order of Taraka is kind of awful and just a crap part of this episode, but when the blurb itself like specifically points out that, eh, it's just three of them, (laughs) and the episode tries to build them up as like such an intimidating force that's just gonna be coming over and over and over nonstop and Buffy's never gonna be able to fight them all off, it's just, it's funny to me. Yeah, it's
1: and so much more stuff happens in the episode than
0: just that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like way more stuff. Although several of the things that I thought happened in this episode don't happen until the part 2.
0: Well, and this this two-parter is significant. And I recognize it as significant because of several things that happen. But it's never really been one of my favorites. And I think part of it is some of the gimmicky stuff that's in it, The Order of Taraka. Some of it is the handling of Kendra. A big part of it is just, it feels like it's an episode or a set of episodes that just had a checklist that it had to get through. And so like the, mm-hmm. the, the story overall is a little muddy for my liking because it's more just like, all right, Right, we ticked off that box, okay, now we ticked off that box. It just had a lot of stuff that they were trying to get done in just a couple of episodes. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of unfortunate when you think about season two and all of the episodes in it that are really kind of filler- yeah, that kind of seemed like a waste of time, yeah. So that's I, I have some issues with pacing in this episode for sure.
1: You'll have to when we get when we get there, tell me about your problems with Kendra, because I kind of like how they showed how different Slayers can be.
0: my my issues are almost entirely the accent. <laughs> oh yeah. Which, well. Kendra's probably going to be discussed more at length in part two, just because she's more featured in that. But yeah, most of it's the, the, the shoehorned in the accent. accent that they
1: did. Yeah, which <laughs> that was unnecessary.
0: Yeah. The accent.
1: Um, She could have been that exact same personality and type of slayer and everything with her history mm-hmm. without the accent yeah. being put in. The first scene starts in the school lounge and they're just hanging out and seem to be taking a test. So some kind of aptitude test to decide what their future careers can be. And that's what they're talking about.
0: Mm hmm.
1: It's a pretty funny conversation. Cordelia walks by and is reading her test and says, I aspire to help my fellow man. Check. And then goes, you know, as long as he's not smelly or dirty or something. Mm hmm. Which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and then Buffy points out that she shouldn't even be bothering to do the test because, well, her future is already mapped out. She's, de- you know, destined to be Slayer mm-hmm. basically until she dies. And so she's not really going to have a career. I always thought this was kind of weird because instead of Willow kind of arguing with her or trying to make her see that she can have a life outside of Slain, Willow's like, so why are you even taking the test? And I know it's to set up for the next comment mm-hmm. where Buffy, you know, says Principal Snyder's making her do it because he likes to make her jump through hoops. But it still doesn't seem very willowy. Yeah, to say that.
0: Willow tends to be like the biggest optimist. So yeah. she would want Buffy to, to believe that she could still have a life outside of slaying and this is a reoccurring thing that we deal with especially in the more adult years when you know Buffy has to resort to things like slinging hamburgers at a fast food joint in order to make ends meet. It, it is something that she doesn't have the ability to dedicate the time one would need to develop the skill sets for a regular career because of having to be the slayer and this is where we start with the just the most annoying fact about the slayer is is the fact that the Watcher's Council does not provide any kind of living wage or expenses or anything for her. Yeah, that's
1: <laughs> ridiculous.
0: And it's it's always obnoxious every time I watch it that I get to one of these episodes and I'm just like, why are they not giving her any compensation whatsoever? It is one of One of the reasons might
1: be that they don't really live long enough to need it because mm-hmm. most of them die before they leave their parents' house.
0: I guess. Well, and I think again and again, we see this Understood, idea like of- throughout
1: history when. They didn't have parents, or had to leave their parents, or whatever. The watcher took care of them, because like Kendra's yeah. watcher seems to have raised her.
0: Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is like I feel like Buffy's such a uh, different scenario than what most slayers are presented to be in. Most slayers are put into the care of their watcher, and their watcher takes care of them more so than Giles. Like I mean, Giles obviously does a fantastic job as a watcher. Nothing to uh, you know take away from his value and his mm-hmm. his uh, you know connection that he has with her. But he's not you know. taking her into his home and feeding her and paying, you know, her bills or anything like that. But we have seen in scenarios where it seems like that may be the relationship between Slayer and Watcher in Well, and see other that kind of yeah. falls
1: apart a little bit in season 3 when they have the helpless episode. Uh-huh. Because, you know, and spoiler obviously, but Giles gets fired from the council because he's become too close, to, too close to Buffy. Yeah. And treats her like a daughter, and they fire him for that. But you would think that You know, a watcher that received his slayer in some kind of ceremony when she was like two and raised her up would be even more attached.
0: Yeah, there's you know, there, there's some things kinda, that don't really add up, yeah. Yeah, there's some issues. Yeah, and I, and I think we'll, uh, we'll have to when, look at it more in that episode when that comes around. But um, yeah, there's been several signs that it is not uncommon for Watchers to become very, very attached to their Slayers.
1: Yeah, and in Season 7, when we see all the potential Slayers start arriving, there's a lot of them that were already with their Watchers and being trained and stuff. But mm-hmm. a lot of them weren't. yeah, a lot of them were just like living normal lives. yeah,
0: there's just too many potentials that they can not like get them all. way yeah, way too many
1: of them were from the United States and spoke English. I'm just saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but well,
1: I'm sure we will talk about that a lot during season seven. <laughs> okay, so there Buffy pretty much, you know, says she's only doing it because Principal Snyder said she has to, and Willow kind of like, aren't you curious what kind of career you could have had?" And Buffy's like, yeah. The cat not really, because it's my fate and I don't want to go there. hmm So, it kind of sets us up for the episode here.
0: Yeah. And from there, we uh, cut to the factory and Drusilla is playing with some tarot cards while Spike and Dalton, um, the vampire, Dalton the vampire, uh, are translating from the book that was stolen from Giles a couple episodes back. And this is another example of Spike's lack of patience that we see with with Drusilla in these episodes Mm -hmm. um, because Drew asks Spike to dance and he like snaps at her and he immediately regrets it but we've seen this happen a couple of times where Spike snaps at at Drew on a dime and she always just kind of like whimpers back and recoils and stuff like that. I'm wondering I'm trying to think if there was ever an example where he snapped at her when she wasn't quite in this state and what her reaction was then because when she's at full power she's so different, like, as far as um, her ability know, but to take th- control of the situation.
1: We're gonna see soon. Mm-hmm. We'll have to pay attention and see if we can see any of that. Um, I'm gonna point out that there's not really a whole lot of changes in this scene in the script book, although the description of her several times throughout this scene is she is supposed to be way more weak and frail than she comes across. hmm Like, the script book has where she's, like, covered with bruises and skeletal and can barely stand and she, like, starts to faint three or four times and is waving because she can't stand up straight. Like, I mean, she she seemed sick and frail watching the scene but originally they had planned for it to be way way
0: worse yeah like
1: on this door i guess
0: mm-hmm and you definitely so. like i think <laughs> i don't know this for sure but i think a lot of people expected that this would also impact her sanity that when they went through the ritual she would be more sane when she came through it which really isn't the case she's just so much more powerful so much more strong yeah. and so like some of the the things that she does now the way that she communicates it's it's much more depressing she she seems to enjoy her insanity when she goes through the ritual but like here it almost feels like the the crazy stuff she says like wears her down whereas like she
1: wishes she could communicate yeah like she wishes she could
0: communicate better like there's just something about it that feels like she seems to enjoy herself more when people can't understand her and she's powerful (laughs) but when she's Mm -hmm. weak and people can't Understand her. It seems like she just weak. Yeah, yeah. yeah it just seems like it. It, it becomes. A bigger issue for her because she has to rely on communication so much and she just can't communicate very well. It's not her strong suit. She just doesn't, she doesn't have that ability but when she's super strong and people don't understand her she finds it like enjoyable because she doesn't have to mm-hmm. rely on communication as much because she can just take what she wants. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, she starts cooing and tries to leave to go change Miss Edith. Um. <laughs> and then in the script book of that scene where Spike just kind of
1: stops her Uh She faints and he has to pick her up. Oh. In the script.
0: Mm Mm-hmm spike explains that they're running out of time and that that bloody slayer keeps mucking up the works and they they have a a a little exchange and end in a kiss and go back to the translation project dalton explains that it's not latin and he's not even sure it's a language and then we have another like clairvoyant moment from drusilla where she's explaining that there's a key and the book is written in a code and spike's excited now and so he picks her up and they dance in one of the like most beautiful little clips (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love their little dance where he just picks her up and spins her around and they're just so happy <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they're saying they're gonna dance, dance on, on the, the slayer's,
0: slayer's
1: grave, grave. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. and so the next scene is um, Buffy in a cemetery and she's moving toward a mausoleum that is like the picture that it showed Drusilla looking at mm-hmm. she looks inside and sees that there is somebody uh, breaking into a vault he reaches in and grabs something and then takes off and and then, you know, Buffy confronts him and they start fighting. And then there's another one behind her who attacks her and she starts fighting with him. She ends up staking him and then turns around and the one behind her that had the thing is gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she goes one down, one gone. And mm-hmm. she's like all upset about it. And I'm like, why would he wait? Like I put it in my notes, Buffy, why would he wait for you? <laughs> You just expect him to sit patiently. Yeah, he's going to stand there and wait for you to, you know, kill his friend and then kill him.
0: (laughs) Or he's going to run. It just seems weird the way she's so surprised and shocked that he's gone. (laughs) To be fair, we have seen signs of, like, a vampire just waiting for his turn before, so maybe... (laughs) Maybe she's just like, oh, <laughs> sometimes they don't do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh. So, and then she heads home and it's, we see her bedroom and angels waiting for her, kind of mm-hmm. just wandering around her room. She looks in the window and then crawls in and scares him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she thinks that's funny because she's like, yeah, now you know what it's like, stuffed <laughs> guy, <laughs> which I thought was funny. And then they start talking and I love, love, love this part. It's such an awesome touch. She says, and you don't have to whisper. Mom's in a ladle Thursday, aren't buying or something. Then why'd you come in through the window? Habit. And I love it, because the look on her face is just like, why did I do that? (laughs) so So it's hilarious i love it my
0: understanding of the behind the scenes of that moment is they wrote the the, her coming through the window and scaring angel part and fell so in love with that and then they realized that they had already had this plan for joyce to be out of town (laughs) for this episode and they were just like how do we explain that and then they're just like we'll just say it's habit (laughs) And it yeah. works so well. It's so funny. <laughs> it takes the 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 initial joke that they had and then applies a whole nother layer of joke on top of it. And it's just mm-hmm. it's it was one of the best decisions that they made like a little happy accident to have this this secondary layer of, of joke on Buffy sneaking through the window to scare Angel. So, I I I mentioned that like the these episodes aren't as aren't as uh high on my list as I would like them to be, but I will tell you right now, this is the best Angel we've gotten so far in the series, in my opinion. I think Angel in this episode is fantastic across the board. They let him do so much more and let David play so much more than he normally gets to play. And like in this scene alone, there's several things that like took me aback. I was just like, oh wow, they like let him... Have a role in this episode That's Mm -hmm. so much Different than what we're used to And they kind of point out the old Angel in this because Mm -hmm. He said he just kind of was having a bad feeling And Buffy's just like oh Angel comes With bad news good like just You know like he used to do yeah Yeah. It's just like such a such a reference To the way that they used to interact And Mm -hmm. you'll notice she even Says big surprise when he says That which is again I feel like That word choice is always very specific Specific when they say surprise. Because a big surprise
1: is coming.
0: <laughs> big surprise is coming. So another thing to note, um, and I'm not sure if this is the first time, I was going to go back and look and then I didn't, uh, but uh, the Clauda ring is very prominently displayed on Angel's hand in this scene, and it is with the oh. heart facing him. Um, okay. So that was a significant detail, and I'm pretty sure as far as I can remember, this is the first appearance of it. Um, so that again ties into that idea of surprise. Like, everything's starting to to lead to that moment. But yeah. It, Speaking
1: of the clodder ring, I actually have one of those <laughs> with all of my children's birthstones on it Aww. that Adam had made for me. That's awesome. Which I absolutely love. Yeah. And you know, he made it because I'm such an obsessive Buffy fan. <laughs> I had it made for He me. knows
0: you. But yeah, Buffy kind of snaps at Angel and Angel's upset and then Buffy apologizes and explains that she's just been cranky-miss and says that they're having a thing at school <laughs> to which <Yeah. laughs> Angel replies, Career week, and she's just like, How did you know? And you have this amazing eyeliner line. Yeah. it's like
1: that's a little creepy a little stalkerish i lurk <laughs> at least he's self-aware <laughs> i'm guessing that would be him like lurking around the bronze listen to everybody uh-huh. listening to what the kids are talking about they have a very angsty conversation about buffy and her wanting a normal life mm-hmm. um and in, for the record it's actually a lot longer in the script than it was in the, the scene they cut some of it out yeah nothing really big just basically going over the so the same things over and over and they cut that out
0: i feel like that this this is a very um, important scene because even without the curse loophole and Angel becoming bad there's still clearly issues and complications with this relationship and and Angel points them out specifically in this um, and you have of course this lovely visual beat of her looking in the mirror and seeing just herself kind of you know visualizing the fact that her future is not really going to be able to include Angel realistically if if a normal life is what she has um, but she explains that Angel is the one freaky thing in her freaky world that still makes sense but that part of her wishes that they could just be regular kids and this mm-hmm. is where Angel again like they just give him more to play with here like they give him the funny lurk line they, he, has, he has the moment with Mr. Gordo and then here he's just like well that's not me I'm not that guy is basically what he's saying you know, you know this is not something I can be for you. And then she mm-hmm. comes back with, well, okay, a regular kid and her cradle-robbing creature of the night boyfriend. And then we get a genuine, like, full grin, just... He, this doesn't happen with Angel. You don't get this yeah, side of Angel. So, I mean, it's it's showing that he's, he's getting happier, which, of course, is a big build-up to something yeah. that's coming. <laughs> but not good, not
1: good. Don't
0: be happy, uh, Angel. But there is, of course, the fun blooper where where, uh, right after they have this like kind of poignant, significant scene where they show Angel not reflecting in the mirror, he walks across the room and you can see his reflection in another mirror on the wall. <laughs> yeah.
1: <oops>. Whoopsie. <laughs> well, he picks up a picture and uh, basically we go into Buffy and how she was obsessed with Dorothy Hamill and ice skating, mm-hmm. which is never mentioned before and is never <laughs> mentioned, mentioned again. again. <laughs> So, but yeah, she was completely obsessed and her whole life was ice skating and Northie Hamill and everything, but then we literally never hear about it again. Yeah,
0: well, and in the in the discussion we had about uh, the Dark Age and uh, Giles' comment about how the Bay City Rollers is, is real music and that Reddit thread that I was reading along with that, there were some comments about this as well as kind of references that don't really make sense because if you look at the timeline, Dorothy Hamill was really at her peak well before Buffy was even born. Um, well, I thought that too. <laughs> so
1: it, I didn't it, bother to look up the years that <laughs> Dorothy Hamill was popular, but I, I I was like, wasn't she like before <laughs> Buffy's time? Yeah,
0: it's a weird reference no matter how you look at it. Because like, they probably could have found a more modern or recent ice skater. Mm-hmm.
1: For this, maybe probably not one as well. No, but they could have found one. Yeah, to use.
0: And there's definitely but, there's definitely ways that if they had really built this up into the character, there's definitely ways where like Joyce was a really big fan, and because Joyce was a really big fan, Buffy's a really big fan, because that happens that a lot. That could have been a part of it. But it's 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 not really significant enough. To bother developing all of that, except for the Kay. fact that she says that it was her life. Like, she yes. had a shrine at a point in her life to and Dorothy Hamill. Wanted,
1: wanted to be her and had her hair cut and all that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, um, Angel says that there's an ice skating rink closed on Tuesdays and they make plans to go and skate mm-hmm. there while it's closed. So, I assume they break in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I assume the door's just unlocked unlocked because we've already established how things work in Sunnydale. Well, yeah, kind (laughs) of.
1: But Sunnydale now has an ice skating rink. Yeah. In this tiny town. Mm-hmm. With all these other things that
0: we've Oh, I have before. comments. I have comments coming up about this. Because in the next scene... So do I. So We do I. have Cordelia and Xander looking at the results from their aptitude tests. And Cordelia notes that she's going to be either a personal shopper or a motivational speaker according to this test. Which, both of those work for me. I'm, I'm good with either of those. Oddly enough, it didn't have a uh, second in command of a uh, investigative... Uh, service Supernatural detective. In, in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. Didn't have mm-hmm. that as the option. I don't know why. But then Cordy looks up Xander's results and laughs and walks away. Now Xander's last name is Harris. So that's H-A. And she has to look on the second page of the H through K to find H-A-R. So there's like a page and a half of other H-A's before Xander. And I'm just like, how big is this school? Well, I mean, how big is this school that like nobody has met
1: Oz before. <laughs> <laughs> like none of our main characters have ever met Oz before this episode <laughs> you know how, how big is this school it kind of reminds me don't even me, know who he is
0: yeah it kind of reminds me of the goof that they did in the uh the the graduation episode of Boy Meets World where they brought back a bunch of characters that hadn't been around for a while and they're like where have you been and they're like oh I've just been on that side of the school and they're like oh we don't go over there so like there's like this whole portion of Sunnydale High that our Arch- characters just never go that's where all the other students live Mm -hmm.
1: but apparently uh xander is going to make a good prison guard yeah which i remember doing this test in high school and it gives you like a bunch of options most people would have like four or five options (laughs) not just like one, like all these other, one or two, like all this That <laughs> I actually remember my top one mm-hmm. for it when I did this was a mortician. Oh. I don't remember the others but I do remember that one because it was so strange. Yeah. It was mortician. <laughs> yeah. So then Vander uh, meets up with Willow and Buffy. He informs Buffy that she was assigned to the booth for law enforcement professional. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that Willow wasn't assigned at all. Mm-hmm. Like her name's not even there. And she's very upset because she used a number two pencil. I that love
0: that. I love that. She was
1: just like, but I had it in my test. I used a number two pencil. Yeah. And <laughs> just like that. Willow. But she was not up there. It seems to me like Willow with her personality, she would like immediately go find someone in charge and find out why she's not on there. <laughs> but she doesn't. She's told why later, but I would think she would go find somebody and be like, why I'm not on here? Why am I not on here? You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Then we have Buffy Scene Giles and uh, he's got a giant load of books that he says he's been indexing the Watcher Diaries and they talk a little bit about last night's patrol and she tells him what she found in the graveyard that she ran into vampires stealing something and he's a little worried about it Mm -hmm. and Buffy's kind of making jokes about how it was some old thing that was downright crusty and Giles loses his patience a little bit and says, so you made no effort to find out what it was Mm -hmm. and kind of like he's annoyed with her,
0: which doesn't really seem like Giles. Yeah, both of them feel off to me like yeah they Buffy, do to me too Buffy is also just like and she points it out herself that she's just been cranky because of this whole career week thing and so you know at least there's some kind of excuse for Buffy and Giles is not in a great place too when you look at the se- the season arc so yeah. they're, they're both just kind of losing patience with each other but it's kind of unfortunate after having two pretty significant like character development episodes, episodes right prior to this and- right for these two And characters. what really,
1: yeah, what really seems off to me is that they, they have a discussion about what she does and how she does it and how she's the slayer and all this. And it ends with her saying, making a little comment about how death wouldn't be much of a change for her and her life's not really very different from being dead anyway, which is a very angsty kind of 16-year-old girlish thing to say mm-hmm. when you're in a bad mood as a, you know, a teenage girl. Yeah. But Buffy's life is a lot more serious than most teenagers and Giles just doesn't say anything like the scene ends when she mm-hmm. starts talking about being dead and how it's not any different in the the show and in the script book he basically says and it was cut out but he says must we be introspective now our only concern should be what was stolen from the mausoleum and nothing else and then it ends and both of those reactions seem really off to me because he cares about Buffy you know he would you would think he would make sure she was okay mm-hmm. You know, but he doesn't in either either one. So kind of although the one in the script book is a lot more harsh.
0: Yeah than just not saying anything. (laughs) Yeah, that is an unfortunate thing. And I think what eventually happens um, is that, you know, we talked about this being Marty Noxon's first episode. What eventually happens is eventually we get that kind of elite writer's team that comes in that know these characters so well and know these relationships so well. At a certain point, you, you get less and less of these inconsistencies from episode to episode. But what's happening a lot in these early episodes is they're bringing in new writers who don't necessarily have the full background in mind when they're writing a scene like this and don't necessarily think exactly where are Giles and Buffy in this point. So it feels really weird considering how how close these two have already become and especially weird with how close we know that these two characters get that they're still at these kind of petty argument stage at this point in, in, their, mm-hmm. in their timeline. But a lot of it is just chalked up to them bringing in new writers and them having to kind of work with what they have and a lot of times in these early episodes stuff is done to service the plot over servicing the character and they I feel like they pull away from that a little bit more as the series progresses. That is something that I have noticed a pattern of is that a lot of times they'll just make characters act the way that they need to act in order to tell the story that they want to tell rather than thinking about how those characters would actually act in those scenarios but yeah upon the the line that they have to determine what was stolen we cut to spike holding the cross the decoder key um and drusilla is like hovering her hand over it and she's sensing it humming and just like really vibing with this cross and yeah it's 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 the one it's it's what they needed to get the last bit of information that they needed to perform the ritual so spike's all excited and says that once She's well, they'll have a coronation down Main Street and drink for seven days and seven nights. And then Dalton, lovely Dalton, asks about the Slayer, and Spike loses his mind.
1: Trouble? He's the gnat in my ear, the gristle in my teeth. She's the bloody thorn in my bloody
0: son. He just gives one of the best speeches that I love. This is so poetic. And again, we don't know that he was a poet until season five, but there's mm-hmm. things that he does in these early seasons. That are very season- much... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so perfect, the, mm-hmm. the dialogue here. But after he says this, he, you know, he really kind of blows up and kicks stuff and, and, and declares all of this about what the Slayer is. And Drew yeah. whimpers Spike. (laughs) I'm just wondering though like is Drew already sensing that Spike is falling in love with Buffy? Is that what that whimper is? When he's like just screaming all of these things about Buffy and then she just whimpers? Spike? Well, I mean,
1: later she says that she knew, it's, you know, back then mm-hmm. that he was falling for her. But I've got in my notes for this part, man, Spike overreact much. Because <laughs> he's not really had that many ar- interactions with Buffy. Yeah. She hasn't really destroyed that many of his plans. Like, what, two? Yeah. But but he is ranting about how she always ruins everything. And it's just like, not
0: yet, Spike, yeah, not yet. <laughs> yeah. But I think it still fits because Mm -hmm. the bits that we've seen of Spike up to this point, he's really fixated on her. Like, And he really, like, he he thought he had the upper hand in that first encounter and it didn't work out. And since then, he's been studying her. He's been thinking Mm -hmm. about her constantly. And even though he hasn't really had that many interactions with her, he is constantly thinking about her. Everything he's doing seems to be partially about Buffy. It's also about... Killing Drew. But there's a lot of things that he's done that's just been about Buffy. You know, that partnership with uh, Ford, that was just to get the Slayer. It didn't really help them at all with Drew. I mean, they already got the book for Drew. That did nothing to further her along. He just did all that so he could kill the Slayer. Those are his two primary goals is to heal Drew and kill the Slayer. And yeah, he he is so fixated on her so fast. And, and again, I mean, this two-parter was supposed to to be the end of Spike's story arc, which is just so funny to me, because there's so much foreshadowing in this that was completely unintentional. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we get to the part of the episode that I hate, where the Order of Taraka is mentioned, and it's just season one crap. Yeah, kinda. (laughs) Yeah. But here, here's the thing. I mentioned this in the blurb, that Spike hires three assassins. And then later on, Giles explains that, oh, it's a society of assassins that'll just keep coming and coming. But Drew, even in this scene, mentions that three of them will come. So even like Drew, with all of her clairvoyance, knows that, oh, we're only going to get three of these guys. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) And three is all that does come. Yeah.
0: But man, Mm. it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't do anything for me. We'll get this again with the judge. The judge doesn't really work for me either, but yeah every now and again they just pull in some kind of threat so that there is an, a threat to be had uh and the order of taraka really does nothing other than to set up Kendra as being an enemy that's why they exist is so that we believe that Kendra's is a bad guy and so that when we get that reveal at the end that she's a vampire slayer it's a big shock moment but i feel like there's other ways that they could have done that and mm-hmm. i think that introducing this kind of i don't know just <laughs> (laughs) like overblown no big whoop order of Taraka and it spends so much time building them up it's just really obnoxious to me and it's like the three from Angel over again you know it's just why why are we dedicating so much time to these enemies and like building them up to such a degree and they're literally nothing one's killed almost instantly one is bested by uh Xander and Cordelia twice technically like they escape and then later they kill him. And then the other one like is I think part of Spike's gang by the end of the second episode and he's like giving her orders and I'm just like I don't think that that's how hiring an assassin works. I don't think you just get to like command them around after that but she's just Mm -hmm. she's just part of the team I guess. I don't know like none of them work for me and it's it's the most obnoxious part about these two episodes for me is the Order of Taraka. It's it's it feels like there's a lot happening in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like so much different stuff. Yeah. And it's that checkbox again, right? They had a whole bunch of checkboxes they had to tick off in order to get Mm -hmm. everything done in these episodes. And I think the Order of Taraka could have been a really cool threat if that was the point of the episode. But the Order of Taraka is just there to bring in Kendra. And I think they could have come up with a better way of introducing Kendra. And if they still wanted to do the Order of Taraka episode, do a separate episode for that and make that be the thing because there is something that's really cool about the concept of them. But they never stop coming. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't make sense in this episode because especially if you look at the timeline, they're discussing this, bringing in the big guns, right? Bringing in the order of Taraka like it's this big whoop. Mm -hmm. And literally that same (laughs) afternoon, they start arriving. Yeah, that's kind of... It's handled like with the the same kind of care as ordering takeout is, you know? (laughs) And I would think if they're really that dangerous, is, there would be some kind of waiting list or some kind of program that would take a little while to get through before you are selected as as Mm -hmm. someone that they would contract with. It is literally like, all right, we're gonna bring in the Order of Taraka, and then that afternoon you know, they're already in town ready to start killing Buffy. But anyway, from there we go back to the school, and Xander and Willow are kinda walking through the halls, and Willow's asking about Buffy, and Xander says that she's out with Giles, and Snyder comes up at this moment and also asks about Buffy and Willow's ability to lie is still very bad. <laughs> yes,
1: she basically says, she oh, she was here a minute ago. And <laughs> it's very awkward.
0: Yeah, right after Snyder nope. says, don't give me that, she was here a minute ago, crap. I love this line that
1: Xander says to, to Principal Snyder. Whatever comes out of your mouth is a meaningless waste of breath, an airborne toxic event. Well, I'm glad you feel comfortable enough to be so honest with me. And I can only hope that one day I'm in the position to be that honest with you. And I love it. It's such an awesome kind of backhanded insult. Yeah. But I will point out that saying this to your principal as a high school student would have got you in trouble. <laughs> but oh, it was so good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really it's really presented in a way that you know it's an insult, and Snyder knows it's an insult. But because Xander didn't actually insult him, then they they play it off like he just gets yeah, away but with it.
1: Yeah, he could have because this is the principal
0: that. Oh yeah, Snyder. Snyder went again. Would, yeah. Snyder would, would would punish him no matter what. But to be fair, <laughs> Snyder just said that, you know, he was a airborne toxic event, basically. So. <laughs>
1: well, yeah. Which a principal would also not say to a student. Yeah. Xander says he has to go and to his seminar on prison guard, being a prison guard. And Willow's like, okay, well, I'll see you later. And she just kind of stands there and then two men in black come up to her and are just <laughs> like, come with us, Willow Rosenberg. And yeah. And kind of get on either side of her and march her away. In the script book, it says that though, when they go to the little, take her to the little area where she's supposed to be, that there is a big logo on the wall that looks strangely like the Microsoft logo. (laughs) So... I did not see that in the episode. Yeah. So I'm guessing they decided not to do that. Yeah. But that's what it is in the script. Just okay. So you know.
0: that's just the level of software company that they're talking about here. Yeah. They tell her that she's been selected to
1: meet with a head recruiter for a so- leading software concern, and he's on his way by jet. And her and one other student were the only two that met the criteria and to sit there and, you know, wait.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In and this curtained off her- area with classical music playing they have got spring and, and by Vivaldi playing and and canape being served. Yeah. Like it's 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 super ritzy for peeing. I mean, Sunnydale High. <laughs> yeah, two juniors Like what in high kind school. of what kind of company
1: does this? I don't know. I, I, I can see companies doing this at colleges.
0: Yeah. To well, and but not a high school. Also, I mean, the way that they say this, of like having incredibly high criteria and that only one other student met it. And then what I know about Oz is just like they have a flaw in their testing system. Cuz like
1: would he have even taken this test? <laughs> Like, would he have even done it?
0: Well, and it's implied that Willow didn't even need to take the test. that They already knew Willow was mm-hmm. was going to be good for the job. But then it's implied that Oz just sort of tests well later on. And so mm-hmm. because of that, he also got selected for the program, even though he has no interest and, and hasn't shown anything in his other schooling to show that that would be something that he would want to go into. Uh, yeah. So, like, it's just, it's it's real silly. But it finally gets Willow and Oz face-to-face. So we'll take it. And Oz offers her a (laughs) canopy. She turns
1: around and sees him and he offers her a canopy. And in the script book, it says that when he sees Willow, his expression registers the coolest hint of delight. I'm not sure. Like, I don't understand what that's supposed to mean. (laughs) Like, he's supposed to be happy to see her, but like not show it or whatever. Like, I don't understand that.
0: I think Seth Green did a fabulous job with that, though. With that being his direction, I think he did really good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How just that. It's that girl. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's like, oh, it's you look. Uh And then we have Buffy and Giles and they're in the graveyard and they're going to look for whatever was taken to see if they could figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're basically kind of are arguing about Buffy being the slayer and him being the watcher and she says he was harsh, which he was.
0: Yeah. I actually paused at that moment a little bit, but knowing the the full script and what he said at the end of it, that is especially like, yeah, super harsh there. I imagine that the conversation has probably persisted since then and they have continued to just not really get along very well. Uh, yeah.
1: Just continue arguing bigger. Um, basically, they talk about her career and how Watcher and Librarian go together, mm-hmm. but that nothing goes with Slayer and Giles, like, has a light bulb moment and he says, have you considered that? <laughs> and
0: she just kind of gives she just Yeah, look. she just glares. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Giles is saying that her sacred duty shouldn't prevent her from finding more gainful employment, such as he did. So is that indicating that Giles makes more as the Sunnydale High librarian than he does at the Watcher's Council? <laughs> right, because we find out later that he does get paid by the yeah. Watcher's Counter. So I don't know if, uh-huh. like, in this version, they thought, oh, well, the Watchers are just called like the Slayers are, and they don't get paid. But they definitely get paid.
1: They should all get paid.
0: And apparently, if this, if this line rings true, they get paid less than the sunnydale high librarian gets paid which makes me feel less bad about all those times where i'm just like giles should just pay for stuff for buffy because apparently he doesn't (laughs) what he gets paid from the watchers council doesn't even fold it can't be much They go
1: in and they discover that the grave belonged to someone named Dulac, and he was really evil and had been excommunicated from the Vatican and sent to Sunnydale. And that he had written the book that the vampire stole from Giles's office a couple of weeks back that mm-hmm. he got so upset about, and that it was written in archaic Latin, and so that nobody but him and his other sect members could read it. And that it's very important that they find out what was stolen.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he, it, it ends with him saying something's kind and it's not good and this is when we cut to the arrival of the Order of Taraka plus Kendra and uh yeah this is this is why the Order of Taraka exists so Kendra can be framed as the bad guy but we have kind of a uh rugged man um with a scarred eye coming off of a bus and then we have a middle aged man outside of the summer's home who is immediately Mm -hmm. ten times creepier than the (laughs) the rugged man (laughs) like is immediately more terrified of this guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he goes to the neighbors and offers free samples. And then and once he's invited in, inside, they zoom in on the door and there's a scream. And then someone's checking the hold of a, of a recently uh, landed aircraft. And a woman attacks him and sneaks out of the airplane. So that is that is the arrival of this week's threat. And we yes. go to the library from there. Although I will point out that
1: Sunnydale, the time... little nothing town of Sunnydale now also boasts an airport. Yeah. (laughs) So, and it, I mean, it was jets. So, (laughs) it wasn't like little crop dusting planes. It was jets at this airport. (laughs) So, now we have that in Sunnydale as well.
0: Of course.
1: (laughs) I'm just saying. I have to point that out. Then we are back in the library and our Scooby gang is sitting around talking about what could have been stolen. Mm -hmm. And they basically figure out that it was a Dakota to read the ancient archaic latin text that was stolen Mm -hmm. and they decide they're gonna have a research party all night (laughs) to figure it out and willow is very very excited about it And uh, Buffy basically says that they don't need her because she's not good at the research or figuring things out. So, and that you guys are the brain. I'm just here for moral support and she has to leave. Which isn't really true because she almost always figures things out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, she's clever. She figures it out using instincts and logic and stuff. I mean, sometimes she even uses the books. Yeah. So, this isn't really
0: accurate. But they buy and she leaves. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Xander does complain about not having snacks though. Um, Yeah. (laughs) At the the end of this scene, it's just it's just the funniest thing. But they, like, hold on like Xander and Giles just staring at each other just both horribly upset with the situation for very different reasons
1: and then the next scene opens at the skating rink and Buffy is there ice skating mm-hmm. and I was really curious so I looked it up this is actually Buffy yes this is this is Sarah Michelle Gellar um she was apparently very much into ice skating mm-hmm. as a teenager and stuff and they wrote this scene on purpose so she could show off her skating skills what I I did not know that before I watched this this time. Yeah. And so it really I it is.
0: Up. I mean, again, it seems a little gratuitous considering how much they're trying to pull off in this episode to have this mm. long montage of her ice skating. It's a nice pause in mm. the episode that kind of just allows you to slow down a little bit because we've had a lot of information thrown at us again and again and again so far. So it's it's been it's been nice, but unfortunately the uh the Octaris, I think is his name, um mm-hmm. shows up up to uh, assassinate Buffy. I'm sure he's going to yes. be successful in that.
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> uh, and then Angel, we hear him yell, Buffy! And comes in and they fight him and they win.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is one of, the, one of the head scratchers on whether or not this is a, a demon or a human. Because... This is definitely a, a, a situation where Buffy no doubt killed this being, but it's not 100% whether it's supposed to be human or demon. It is explained by Giles later in the episode that the Order of Taraka is made up of both, so it could be either or. But the sign that it was able to hold its own as well as it did against both Buffy and Angel seems to indicate probably, that it's probably he, a demon.
1: But yeah. Yes, and then we know the, the one later that just runs away is a human. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So, I'm going to go with probably a demon. Probably like a probably demon. Probably meant to be a demon, even though it never addresses it.
0: Yeah. So, Drew flips the the card that's supposed to represent this particular member of the this Order Cyclops. of Taraka. And says that he's already fallen. And Spike's like, I'm not worried. And I'm just like, you just called these people this morning and she's already killing them off. <laughs> like, yeah, you should be worried. <laughs> but anyway.
1: Then they also, they travel really fast.
0: Yeah. Efficiency is... Yeah. is part of their uh their uh selling point we'll kill them and we'll kill them fast we just yeah. might lose three or four guys before we get there well we go back to buffy and angel at the ice skating rink and buffy sees
1: the ring that octarius was wearing and kind of freaks out and tells buffy she's got to get somewhere safe she has to go home mm-hmm. which isn't really safe but she has to get somewhere safe yeah um because these these are bad guys and you're in danger and then they have a really sweet scene where buffy's trying to take care of angel's uh, and he gets upset that she's touching him with his vamp face because he hasn't for some reason gone back to his regular face yet mm-hmm. and she tells him she didn't even notice and uh then they start making out and we see that kendra is watching them yep we don't know it's kendra yet but the the assassin uh-huh. that got off the airplane is watching them
0: air quotes assassin um yes definitely air quotes so this is what this is funny to me because they have this wide shot of like buffy and angel just kissing so passionately like they're so in love right and it's so romantic and literally a couple feet away is the dead guy (laughs) yeah i mean they're kind of used to that i know they're used to it but it's still funny to me (laughs) I was just like, you couldn't have figured out a different way to frame that shot. So then we go back to the library and Buffy has an ice pack
1: on her knee, which got hurt. Giles is basically saying that Angel was right to be upset by the ring and tells her it's the order of T- Tarka, Tarka, Taraka. Taraka. And they are, you know, demon assassins yeah. uh, dating back to King Solomon. Yeah. And Xander starts making jokes and Giles gets really upset and kind of snaps at Xander that that's enough. And tells Buffy that she's got to get somewhere safe she needs to find a safe house they need to find a safe house to keep her in Mm -hmm. and now Buffy finally gets kind of worried because now Angel and Giles have both told her to get gone yes And that she's in a lot of danger.
0: Yeah. And I feel like if this was an isolated episode, if the Order of Taraka was the point of the episode and they actually built up this threat and handled it correctly, this would have been a really good episode of Buffy. Um, But they tried to do too much. Yeah, they tried to do too much and the Order of Taraka just kind of felt underwhelming after Mm -hmm. this particular speech, which is really menacing and terrifying. And to like do it again where they're showing like the creepy, creepy guy in the neighbor's house looking through to Buffy's window while he's talking about no matter how many that she kills there will always be more. They won't stop coming until the job is done. It really is very menacing and threatening feeling and there's a couple of bits that I really enjoy about that setup but unfortunately it just doesn't amount to anything in Mm -hmm. in the episodes themselves but what I will say is that when Giles snaps at Xander it is one of my favorite bits from this episode because Mm-hmm. they take a moment to show everybody's reaction and how everybody is really uncomfortable with that. That happened, With yeah. that. And coming off of the Dark Age and everything that they've just learned about Giles and having that moment where there is a pause and then Giles apologizes and says it's just not the time for jokes. I think it's like a really heavy moment to mm-hmm. show where all of those characters are and how they're still trying to figure out each other. Uh, but yeah, like I really like that they took the time to show each of them individually react to Giles. Yelling at Xander And it's 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 exquisite I love that moment It is really good And then
1: we break to Buffy walking down the hall Of the high school And she's just kind of Looking around about How you know Everyone might be a threat To her Mm -hmm.
0: See and I think This is cool too Like if this was The episode And you had more of This paranoia side of it Cause like this little section Is really cool Like this idea Of I am constantly Being hunted And I don't know Who's the next person Who's gonna try to attack me And if that was An entire episode Episode, that would be awesome. Like, I even like the little, like, moment where you got the guy combing his hair and it sounds like a freaking razor blade shinging across the, the scalp. Of, like, it's just, it's like yeah, a really cool reaches editing. Yeah,
1: and pulls it out of his pocket. Yeah. Which kind of creepy because he be- he could be going for a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And then Oz walks up on her and she grabs Oz and throws him up against the wall. Which, again, she has no idea who Ozzy is, even though they both <laughs> go to this supposedly tiny school. And they're both juniors. Well, he's a Oh, no, no, Oz is a senior, but still, yeah, there's still no each other. <laughs> Um, And then he says, "She's a tense person."
0: Yes, and I love that <laughs> word choice. I'm so glad they went with "person" and not "woman." I am so glad. It's just the littlest little thing, but mm-hmm. if if Oz had said in that moment, "That's a tense woman," I would have been so upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so from there, we get this short little uh, moment where Buffy's outside of her house and she's kind of looking at the door. And chooses not to go in, and
1: it ends up being a good choice. Yeah,
0: and um, we're not really sure where she's headed yet. We'll get we'll get there in a few minutes, but right now we're back at the library. Giles and Willow and Xander are kind of talking about how Buffy just took off. Wish that there was more that they could do. And Xander comes in and says that she's not at home, and he's been trying to call her and she's not answering. And Willow says that. She's glad that, you know, she took it seriously and everything, but just wish that she knew where she was. And that's where we see that Buffy has arrived at Angel's apartment. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's not home. So she goes in and... Lays down in his bed, Mm -hmm. and as far as I know, this is the first time that she's been like inside his apartment. Yeah, Um, I think so too. And you can kind of see that she's looking around, like we've we've seen in the episode where she talks about walking him home. But I'm not sure if she's ever really been inside inside. But she's kind of taking in the apartment and like looking Mm -hmm. at the art and stuff like that. And she still has a limp, which I think again supports the idea that that was definitely a demon she fought earlier. But yeah, it's it's a it's another one of those quiet moments. Uh, That shows that Angel's kind of Buffy's comfort space, right? Like, she feels safe with Angel, and it's something that we've talked about a few times. We talked about it When She Was Bad, and uh, it's going to continue to be something that is built on until, of course, surprise, when everything goes all to hell. Uh, yeah. And then the next scene is a seedy bar.
1: <laughs> um, and there's a guy, you know, uh, sweeping the floor. And he look he looks up and he sees a shadowed figure in the door, which you can tell it's Angel. Uh-huh. And he says, we're closed. Can't you read the sign? And then realizes it's Angel. And apparently they know each other. They have a past. Yes. And this is the first time we see Willie, although he will be in every season. And basically Angel wants to, get information from Willie about who sent this, the assassins and about Spike and Willie resists and then finally tells Angel basically what he wants to know. And at one point, you know, we were talking about this last episode mm-hmm. about the pig's blood. He, Willie, tells Angel, I've got some fresh pig's blood in and it's the good stuff. Yeah. So this is this is the first reference to pig's blood. Pig's
0: bug being that an Angel alternative. Drink, yeah. yeah,
1: drinks pig's blood.
0: Again, I love Angel in this episode and this is so good oh yeah it's
1: really good let's try again the order of taraka they're after the slayer come on man was it spike look angel i I got some good pigs blood in good stuff my fence you know
0: i'm a little rusty
1: when it comes to killing humans it could take a while
0: the fact that they allowed him to go to this place to just threaten willie's life and and do so in in such a similar way to what i kind of expect him to do in the angel series right i feel like this is the first glimpse of that side of of angel kind of skirting with the dark side of himself in a way to do good like to allow himself to humor humor that that demon inside of him in a way to get to a certain end and this, like, just slamming Willie into the bar and saying that he's a little rusty when it comes to killing humans is, yeah, r- like, very such, new. such a different type of way of handling things than we've seen Angel do in the past. And it's something that he does again and again on his own show of of using that power of that strength of that intimidation to get what he wants. <laughs> but this is the first time I think we've really seen it. And it's great. It's fantastic.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it's, a, it's a very fun scene to watch. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then Kendra shows up (laughs) and she hits Angel across the temple with something and he hits the ground and they basically start fighting. Mm -hmm. Kendra and Angel start fighting and uh, they crash into stuff in the back room and Angel like falls into what looks like a little storage area and asks her, who are you? And tells her he won't hurt her if she tells him what she needs to know. Mm -hmm. And then Kendra starts kind of smirking hmm and locks him in a cage yes yeah
0: yeah he has the line of you think this is funny and she closes and latches to the door and then we hear the accent <laughs> for the first time yeah wolf okay so the accent no fault to the actress bianca lawson is actually um does does well enough with what she was given because it was a a last minute decision to put on this accent and they went for a really tough accent to make sound not kooky and and weird but it just it makes it really hard to one, take her seriously in in certain areas. And there's even times where she says stuff, and this sounds so terrible, but she says, she uses the word threaten. And I literally when I was listening to it, I couldn't understand that she was saying threaten until Angel repeated the word. And then I understood what she was trying to say. Like it's just so heavy, the accent Mm. that they give her. And she's trying to make it work, but it just doesn't. Doesn't work, And I do appreciate some of the ideas that they had with that of having her be more exotic, to have a person of color be the other Slayer. And we know how this ends, and it's the unfortunate aspect of Buffy that its representation of racial d- diversity is severely lacking and a lot of times ends with the person dying. Um, and we're going to talk yeah. about that a bit more in next week's episode because that is when Kendra is more of the focus of it. But it is, it is an unfortunate part of Kendra's character. Character is that mm-hmm. in in trying to make her, I guess, more representative, they kind of just showed themselves as more racist, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, it's hard maybe, to more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe more thoughtless. Yeah. Maybe more thoughtless. Because
1: I think the intention was good.
0: Yeah, I think that there's there's something to be but, said like, about having. Yeah. Her character having, could yeah. have been. Yeah, yeah.
1: Her character could have been done without that.
0: Yeah. It it could have been done without the accent, and it could have been done still with some grace on 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 a level that that showed that she wasn't from here you could have gone with a, a more subtle accent you didn't have to go so severe on the accent if you wanted to mm-hmm. show that she was from another part of the world you could still do that but the fact that they went for such an extreme accent it feels like a rash decision that wasn't really thought out yeah it wasn't But then a lot a lot of this episode feels very rash yeah so it's it's unfortunate it takes me out of the uh story with Kendra um Every time I I hear her accent, it's just it's it's something that I remember being bad. But whenever I hear it, it's it's always worse than I had thought it was. And I mean, it's it's right it's right up there with uh, David Boreanaz's Irish accent. Like they're they're just both terrible accents that take you out now, of the show.
1: <laughs> the Irish one, when he does that, that one does take me out of the show because it, it yeah yeah um, Kendra's. I understand that it's bad um, and way too heavy, but it doesn't take me out of the, the story mm-hmm. watching her. Basically, Kendra lets him know that she's looking for the girl he was with. She's looking for Buffy, even though she doesn't know who Buffy is. And uh, Angel uh, says he's going to get out of there. And Kendra points out that the sun's going to come up in a few hours and it's going to shine through that window and you're going to be dust.
0: Yeah, she's very directionally minded. She knew when she locked him in that cage, she's like, ah, eastern exposure right there, baby. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: wouldn't have known that. (laughs) Um, Then we go back to Giles in the library and he is on the phone with Xander and tells Xander to go to her house to look for her. Which, after all the the warnings and threats and stuff about how dangerous these assassins are, sending Xander to her house to check on her seems kind of uh, irresponsible. That's okay, he sent Cordelia. To go with. Him. Well, yes. And Cord- Giles <laughs> says, I don't know how you're going to get there. You know, have Cordelia drive you. And then he goes into the regular part of the library and I just love this scene that's coming Mm -hmm. but Willow is asleep with her head
0: on a desk and he kind of gently shakes her and she says don't warn the temples I have been waiting for this line oh, um, for a very specific reason when she explains that she has frog fear I have met two people that have frog fear I'm I'm sure there's a phobia name for it but I don't know it and it is super crippling for both of them it is like the most intense Intense fear that I've encountered. And I don't know if I've just met the two people that are that serious about it, but my my roommate is one of them and it is she can't function around frogs. Um, So the fact that Willow wow, okay. has frog fear has always been amusing to me because to me that is like the most debilitating fear you can have. <laughs>
1: I've never really considered that frog fear would be debilitating in any way. Oh, it's like I mean, are you just
0: not? I don't really. Yeah, I just know. I just happen
1: around frogs that much.
0: Yeah, I just happen to know the people who are that scared of frogs. But even being that scared of frogs, how often are they around frogs? There's always, especially around these parts in summer. There's frogs outside everywhere. But I think what it is. And I've I've thought about this, is that there's a lot of things out there that people are scared of, but that... Those things are also scared of us, right? I mean, mm-hmm. snakes and spiders and all of those things tend to shy away from us. But frogs mm-hmm. will just hop on you. They don't give a crap. They'll just jump at you. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I can kind of understand, like, not wanting to get near a frog if you're scared of frogs because frogs will come at you in a way that a lot of other things that people are afraid of won't. Um, They'll just jump I right on you.
1: <laughs> never actually thought about that. <laughs>
0: (laughs) So, yeah. But yeah, Giles says that he's found a description of the the Duloc manuscript and that it's a ritual and the believed purpose of it is to restore a vampire back to health. And Willow immediately says, like Drusilla.
1: Yeah, which they they leave it there and it's really creepy. And then we go back to Spike who is really excited because they finally figured it out and the key to the cure was right in front of them and it was Angel. Mm-hmm. Which isn't which isn't
0: admitted but his hand is directed it, to a tarot card of a fallen angel so it's pretty obvious. Yeah it's pretty obvious
1: <laughs> and they talk about how it was right in front of them.
0: Also can we talk about how just very specific Drusilla's tarot cards are? Right they like <laughs> basically tell you everything you need to know. They're <laughs> like, you don't even have to interpret them.
1: No. They're just, this card for just like, hey, here's what it is right here on this card. <laughs> and then the next scene is Buffy's house. And it is Cordelia and Xander arriving at the house. Mm-hmm. Cordelia is basically bickering with Xander about him calling her to give him a ride to Buffy's house.
0: Which, to be fair, like, in my mind, the way that this timeline works, Giles had that conversation with Xander at, like, three in the morning that he needed to go and check on Buffy's house. The way that the night works, like, it had to have been. Because it was right after Kendra was just like, it's a few more hours till the sun comes up. So, yeah. She really did get woken up, like, really early early to come and do this. (laughs) But this is also the first time that they
1: refer to themselves as a Scooby gang. Yes. Yes. Which they will do for, you know, the entirety of the series. Mm-hmm. Come on, Cordelia. You want to be a member of the Scooby gang, you got to be willing to be in every now and then. Oh,
0: right. Because I lie awake at night hoping you Tweekos would be my best friends.
1: So that's our first reference to that nickname for the group. And Cordelia's basically makes a catty comment about, yeah, I really want to be friends with y'all. <laughs>
0: um, well, I mean, you did actually give him a ride, so yes. <laughs>
1: uh, Xander breaks in a window and then opens the door for her. And she goes in and basically asking, you know, if Buffy is in trouble, what are you going to do? You know, she's the superhero and you're just a guy. Yeah. Um, she gets he, it. <laughs> now she's, he starts looking around the house and she just kind of stands there in the living room. And then here's a knock on the door and she goes to open it. And it is the assassin. Mm-hmm. And he offers her some free skincare samples. And she says free and then lets <laughs> him in and closes the door.
0: Yeah, they do the exact same zoom in as well that they yep. did for when he entered the other door there was a nice uh, consistency there no scream this time also that this is the actual house that the Summers residence is based off of they filmed on location for this section of it so that's a little, little nugget of information that I read while I was researching things about this episode so mm-hmm. uh, after this they kind of oh. switched to a sound stage for most of it but this is the actual house so when he like goes in through the, the window that's the actual location that he does that. That. from there you get a quick flash of of Angel trying to break free as the sun is kind of starting to encroach in on him and then it cuts to Buffy who is asleep in Angel's bed still and she starts to wake up and then immediately jumps into action as an axe comes down where her head was (laughs) which I mean Kendra doesn't waste any time apparently (laughs) and they start fighting
1: and kind of have a a pretty equal fight. Yeah. And then they're both kind of looking at each other, and Kendra says, who are you? And Buffy's like, what do you mean, who am I? You're the one that attacked me. And Kendra says, I'm Kendra, the vampire slayer. And then we end the episode. (laughs) 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 With Buffy's big eyes, very confused. (laughs) Yeah, what's going on?
0: So Uh, we haven't really talked about this and I think we can take a few minutes just now. I love the fact that this is a consequence of Prophecy Girl, of the fact that she she did, did technically actually die. die. And yeah. because of that, it was enough to call the next Slayer in the cycle. And yeah. it makes for a really interesting arc, especially in the next episode when we start reflecting more on this idea of does that mean that she can have a normal life? And this is something that we're built towards the entire series is this idea of more Slayers means less less pressure off of Buffy. Kendra dies rather quickly and Faith isn't a reliable Slayer. So the pressure kind of always comes back to Buffy until, of course, the very end of the series.
1: We could technically make a lot more Slayers. I mean, it doesn't go with Buffy anymore. Like a a Slayer is not called anymore if Buffy dies.
0: Mm -hmm. But when
1: Kendra dies, Faith is called. Yes. So, I mean, we could technically take, like, take Faith to the hospital and, like, have her heart stopped for, like, 30 seconds and then restart it and it would probably call third slayer
0: yeah and that's they the could do it to
1: that slayer and like they could if they really wanted to they could get like a dozen slayers
0: yes and it's it's something that has been discussed by fans before of like why that wasn't explored more of that option one it's just perhaps one of the more unethical things that you could potentially do um but two it's something that is against what the Watcher's Council would want to do, right? The Watcher's Council doesn't want more Slayers. That's not what they're about. They want a Slayer at a time that they can control, and then when that Slayer dies, then they can get another Slayer that they can control. They have something built into right. their Slayer line that kills them at 18, basically. So it is kind of that darker side of the Watcher's Council of, they, they have no interest in more Slayers. They like yeah. having one at a time.
1: Right, but I mean, there are Slayers in different parts of the world Mm -hmm. you know they're not all just in sunnydale there's evil we find that out when the angel series start there's badness going on
0: here too oh yeah like there's there's logic logic to your plan there's logic to your plan and there's a ton of logic to buffy's plan at the end of the series but Mm -hmm. neither one fit the the way that the watcher's council is framed i'm just saying It's an idea. And Um, it's something that's implied that the potentials who aren't superpowered in any way are also used as cannon fodder. The ones that they have found, that they have trained, even if they don't get called, I think they're still sent out to fight. Um, Are they? I mean, there's still that implication at the very least. Because yeah. what else are they going to do? I mean, that's what they've been trained for all their life. If they get them young enough and train them their entire life to do that task, mm-hmm. what else are they going to do with them?
1: Which brings to to question, do, do they have a way of figuring out who's going to be a potential? How would you even do that?
0: Well, you know? there is, they do perform a spell in Season 7. Willow has a spell that she uses when they think that Dawn is a potential and it turns out to actually be Amanda. Um, but like. Think of all
1: the girls in the world. Uh, is the Watcher's Council just performing this spell on every every female in the world?
0: Well, it was like a homing uh, beacon it one. Just, it wasn't like they had to do it directly. It was a homing beacon one. And I'm not sure if they explained that that was something that the point. Watcher's Council used or what. But I think there are ways to detect a potential yeah. using magic. But there are so many of them out there that you can't detect them all, which is why a situation like Buffy occurred where she had no idea and was called. I like the I like the idea of the consequence of Prophecy Girl leading to another slayer being called. Oh yes. Yeah, I've it's never good. had a problem with this idea. Like people have suggested oh well if they knew that then why don't they just do this idea of temporarily killing uh, the current Slayer to activate another one, so you have more Slayers. I've never begrudged the show for not doing that because I. Think, oh no, I don't think the show should have. Done I think that, think it's, that it's it's entirely unethical to do that. To yeah, be, I was
1: pointing out that it's an option.
0: Yeah, and uh, I like. I mean, I'm I'm fine with the fact that the show never even discussed it as an option because for me yes. it's such a it's such a dark option that I wouldn't have liked our people discussing it as an option. But it is yeah. something that with this knowledge going forward someone would have considered it had Buffy not just created the Slayer race and completely changed the rules. You know, somebody would have been dark enough to be like, ooh, I can get multiple Slayers if I just start picking them off and bringing them back to life, which is terrifying. Uh, Well, that is What's My Line Part 1. Yep, we'll be back with Part 2 next week, and we will get to see how this story concludes. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. uh (laughs) (laughs) that's my that's my spoiler for my my opinion on the second part of this uh uh, two-parter but uh yeah we'll be back next week and we thank you so 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 much for listening (laughs) you think i got enough so's in there (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right (laughs) this is where we say bye bye Uh, yeah, but you got Ted. You keep not wanting to watch Ted and
1: Bad Eggs. <laughs> are Ted and Bad Eggs not... Are they between them or after them? And no, I don't want to watch Ted and
0: Bad Eggs. <laughs> Ted and Bad Eggs and then surprise. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. <laughs>